We're very blessed today. Wonderful time of worship. It feels as though we've had a feast, doesn't it? And um, in England we have, uh, we have an expression, uh, it's the dust cart following the Lord's Mayor's pr- procession. Um, and it's a kind of strange one for American ears, but basically what it means is this. We've just had the parade, and now I'm clearing up at the end of it. And hopefully there'll be something valuable in what I find. Let's read from today's passage, a passage that has very great significance for me as a preacher. I became a Christian at the age of 16 by reading the Bible, a Bible that was given to me by an American missionary working in our school teaching religious studies. That teacher was such a blessing to me in giving me the Bible and through reading God's Word, finding the Lord Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And just a few months after that, I was called as a preacher. A man called Val Grieve. He was a well-known lawyer in Manchester at the time. He used to gather young men and take them out as preaching teams. And I went out with him as a young 16-year-old preaching in the poorer areas of Manchester. And then was given the opportunity to preach for the first time, as it were, single-handed. And the Lord gave me this passage to preach. And so uh, this is a special passage for me. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, He was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. An amazing story. One of the, the, great, the great heroic stories of the New Testament. Philip the evangelist who has gone to Samaria and seen amazing things happen as the power of God anoints his preaching 
and works through his prayers. Peter and John have come to pray for the Samaritans that they be filled with the Spirit. And in their prayers, the Lord answers and brings in the Samaritans into the fold of God's kingdom. And Philip, ready and available, is given this incredible privilege, a privilege that some of us see just occasionally in our lives. Many of us perhaps only read about it in Scripture. And perhaps, again, many of us, though aware of it, do not fully encounter it. But here, the Lord draws back the veil, the thin gossamer membrane between the physical and the spiritual realm and reveals to him all that's going on. If the Lord this moment drew back that same membrane, we would see the chariots and the horsemen of the Lord gathered around. The Lord drew back the veil in that moment and an angel sent Philip on his way. It's an interesting thing that Philip is prepared to go to the desert. It's a strange place to send someone on an evangelistic trip. Of course, you'd understand that the Lord would send Philip to Samaria. There are many people who live there. There are towns and cities, populations of people that, that he can spend his time sharing the gospel with. But who's he going to meet in the desert? The desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza is largely uninhabited even to this day. If you went on that road as I have done, you would think to yourself, I don't really want to break down here. You wouldn't want to flat, I promise you. Because even today, it would feel incredibly risky. But imagine in a world where there are no emergency services, where there are few people passing. Imagine being sent by God into the desert, perhaps with only the skin of water that you can carry yourself. And there in the desert to wait for who knows who. And through the heat haze, this, this carriage appears. The chariot being, being driven by, by the charioteer, perhaps surrounded by horsemen, maybe Nubian tribesmen who would be the official royal guard of the Ethiopian house. There's this entourage moving through the desert at pace. Philip sees through the heat haze, realizes that it's not a mirage, and hears the Spirit say, go up and join them. Now if you saw, if you saw a, a presidential cavalcade going past, surrounded by various different members of the Secret Service, and the Holy Spirit said to you, go up and join them. What would the reaction be in your heart? Because that's probably the natural reaction of Philip. Because the idea, of course, is that this is a person who is not supposed to encounter people like Philip. And so the people that are guarding him will ensure that he gets nowhere near him. And in the middle of the desert, who would 
Who would care if another body was lying on the roadside? But ready and available, the word within him being more important than the world about him, Philip obeys. The word within him being more important than the world about him, Philip obeys. And he hears over the clatter of the horse's hooves the eunuch reading the Bible. Now you might say, how come he's reading out loud? Well, the truth is that human beings in general did not learn to read silently until the 12th century. You didn't know that, did you? I remember reading uh, a history of, um, of Augustine and, and people remarking that Ambrose, the man whose preaching brought Augustine to the Lord, how people said that Ambrose, this amazing preacher, could read the Bible without even his lips moving. It was like a miracle because no one knew how to do it then. It's something that we've learned how to do as modern people. And so the Western Wall is called the Wailing Wall because that's the only way in which you can read the Scriptures. You can only read them out loud. And so here's the man in the chariot reading the Scriptures and he's in the book of Isaiah and maybe he's in the book of Isaiah because it's one of those places where eunuchs like himself have hope that God has not cast them out forever just a few chapters on from where he is reading out loud he has already perhaps read and most certainly will read just in a little while that even the eunuchs find their place in the temple courts with God because of course according to history and tradition a man who is a eunuch is not allowed to be included in the people of God he's not allowed to worship within the precincts of the temple how would he have worshipped in Jerusalem it's an open question nobody is able to be sure but probably the answer is that Herod's Stoa as it's called if you look at one of the models of the temple during the time of Jesus you'll see that on the south side of Temple Mount there is a beautiful colonnade that is adjacent to the colonnade called Solomon's Colonnade where the apostles would preach and teach the people where Jesus himself would have taught the crowds just adjacent to that on the south side of the temple is Herod's Stoa as it's called Herod Stoa, the, the colonnade, the, the shaded area, beautifully constructed, designed in the way of classical architecture, is the place where the royal family would gather to worship. Of course, Herod the Great was not a Jew, and the rest of his family were, were not, in any sense, 
thoroughbreds in terms of the way that the Old Testament would describe the people of God. In fact, they would find it difficult to even make their way into the court of the Gentiles. But they wanted a place where they could worship, and perhaps there it would be where the dignitaries of the foreign nations would gather with the royal family to worship. How would Philip know that this was a eunuch? Well, there would be indications, of course, in the way that the man was, was dressed and apported. There would be indications that would suggest to Philip that this was a eunuch that he was about to speak with. A man who'd had his genitalia removed would have a silver pipe in his turban indicating his, his position and status. There he would say, I am not only a eunuch, but I'm a eunuch of, of noble standing. A man who has been cut off as a small boy, prepared for service in the court of a royal family where women will be found. For Philip, born a Jew, this would be something of an internal conflict. Not only was he running along the side of a chariot of a Gentile heathen, but he was running alongside the chariot of a man who in many ways would be treated as a leper by his own people. You would never come into proximity of a man like this. But the word within him was more important than the world about him. And when the Spirit said, go up, he did. And he calls out, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I, unless anyone will explain it? And he invited Philip into the carriage. How do you identify a person of peace? Jesus says, they will like you. They will listen to you. And they will serve you. What greater service to a man that you find hitchhiking in the desert with no hope of getting home without harm? What greater service can you give than to invite him into your limousine? Philip steps into the carriage and is, of course, captured, I'm sure, by the way that God has prepared every step along the way because here this high-ranking official, this man of noble bearing and perhaps noble birth, is reading about the suffering servant reading the, port, the part of the prophecy where Isaiah speaks of Jesus 
in his humiliation and death. And starting with this very passage, he tells him the good news. I can remember as a young pastor, I was working in the inner city of London, and um, a young man became a Christian. He was the first person of peace that I encountered after discovering this particular strategy of Jesus in the New Testament. We've looked at it before, and I think I've mentioned his name. I'm not sure I told you very much about his family. Maybe I did, I don't remember. I like the Apex swag, by the way, don't you? It's kind of nice. His family was very interesting. This first convert in the inner city. They were an Irish family. And when I met his father and mother, they introduced themselves in a particular way. His father said, Hello, Pastor. I'm an atheist, a communist, and a member of the IRA. Nice to meet you. Now, all of those would have been okay. Member of the IRA. We'd had a Molotov cocktail burning the car underneath their apartment block. And uh, that gave me some pause, I can tell you, because we were their next door neighbors. I met his mother. She said, hello, pastor. I'm an atheist, a communist, a feminist, and a member of the IRA. Nice to meet you. And I thought, there's no chance of this lot becoming Christians. One day I was praying, and the Lord said to me, go up to their chariot. Well, he didn't say that. He said, go and knock on their door. Well, I, I really didn't want to. So I came up with all kinds of excuses like, I don't think this is the Lord. Obviously, I've misunderstood. Perhaps I've eaten too much cheese. What, I mean, what could it be that would make me think that the Lord had told me to go to that household? It's crazy. Well, they only lived just a few yards away, so I left the parsonage and walked around the street and up to their door and I knocked bravely about this level of intensity (laughs) I walked away pleased with myself saying well Lord obviously you were just testing my faithfulness and I'm glad that I've been found faithful and I'm a good son praise you Lord for how marvelous I am And behind me, the door swung open violently. And a voice said, Who's there? What do you want? I turned gingerly, hoping it was another door. Sure enough, there's the gentleman. And I didn't really know what to say. I felt like a schoolboy having been caught out. And so I kind of 
looked at the ground and I was kind of swaying backwards and forwards and moving my foot a little bit and I said God sent me (laughs) and he said I'm so glad I've been wanting to talk to you about him so I go into the house his wife is looking with daggers as I speak with the gentleman as he gets down on the carpet and kneels confesses his sin chooses to follow Jesus two days later she calls me and tells me that she wants to do the same thing and the whole household comes to Christ the children become ministers and missionaries and the Lord has done an amazing thing the word within me overcame the world about me because the word within us is more important than the world about us and so Philip gets into the carriage and shares the good news of Jesus and then it gets even stranger because the man the eunuch maybe they read on to chapter 56 where it speaks about the eunuchs being accepted by the Lord in his temple and amongst the people of God I don't know but he says to Philip look there's water I don't know where the water was I've never seen much out there but my guess is that there was some kind of oasis and so they pulled up to the water and they go down into the water now here's the thing in the coming weeks and months we're going to hear more and more about people having discovery Bible studies with people in the community we're at family camp going to be learning how to share our faith both young and old with our family and our friends and our neighbors and so we're going to see more and more people beginning to respond to the gospel and we're praying more and more for the harvest that God wants to bring because the harvest is plentiful always there are just two things that are needed Jesus says open your eyes and look the fields are ready for harvest the first thing that we need eyes to see the harvest and the harvest will often begin in a place that you least expect it amongst those members of the IRA who are your neighbors the eunuchs the marginalized the people on the fringes the people who as Chad said last week we have received power so that they in their powerlessness meet God the first thing we need is eyes to see the second of course 
is to be available. Philip was ready and available. He was ready because he had heard the apostles' teaching. He had been part of the fellowship. He had broke bread in the homes like all of the other members of the church in Jerusalem. And he had regularly been involved in the individual and corporate prayers of the people of God. He had built his life on that foundation. He had been in the temple daily and in his home, his, his extended family, his oikos. He knew what it was to live in the purposes of God. He was ready. But there was something more important about Philip than his readiness. Philip was available. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why are they so few? Because many are ready, but not available. Many may not be ready, but still could be available. Because it's the word within, not the world about, that defines whether we're successful in sharing our faith. So Philip baptizes the eunuch in the water. And then we see an amazing miracle. Now here's the thing. I'm just going to say this before we finish because it's kind of a fun thing. Every miracle that you see in the Bible is the future that we're working towards, that we're walking towards, that we're being drawn toward, the future in heaven breaking into the present. In heaven, there's no sickness, and so healing breaks into the present and gives us a window into the future. There's no sin in heaven, and so forgiveness breaks into the present and gives us a window into the future. There's no sadness in heaven, and so joy breaks into our present and gives us a window into the future. Philip baptizes the eunuch, and then he's gone. And appears in Azotos ancient Ashdod, down by the Mediterranean, near the border with Egypt. I've often speculated what that was like for Philip. Was it kind of, or did he just appear? Did the people in Azotos say, is it a bird? Is it a plane? Oh no, there are no planes there. Is it a, a bird again? Um, or did he just appear? Here's the amazing thing. Jesus shows us what it's like in heaven in his resurrection because he appears in the upper room and then disappears again, doesn't he? He's not restricted by the same rules of space and time. Think about it. It's going to be cool in heaven, isn't it? What about that? Ooh, you're going to be thinking about that all through lunch, all through dinner. We're not restricted by the same rules of space and time. We can appear and disappear in different places. Isn't that cool? I love that. 
no need for any cars or bikes or whatever. I think I'll go to Walmart. Boom, there I am. I mean, there's got to be Walmart in heaven. Come on, let's be honest. So, and that's just kind of extra. It's nothing to do with the sermon today. That's just kind of bonus. It's just a bonus track for you. But here's the thing, here's the thing. As we consider the people around us who as yet are uncertain of their eternal destiny, are not sure of their standing with God, have no knowledge of the faithfulness that we've sung about this morning. Are you ready? And whether you're ready or not, are you available? Are you available for what God might do? Because if we were available, my sense is that we'd see much more of the harvest than we do right now. And let me just say this, if you've never been in the privileged position of sharing your faith and seeing new birth occur and knowing that this person is secured for all eternity, then you've never known the greatest privilege that you can know here on earth. And it's something you should look for and long for. It's something that you should pray for and ask God for amongst your friends and your family. These are days when people's hearts are opening to the need for hope, are opening to the need for certainty, are opening to the need for a faithful, consistent, loving God in the midst of the chaos they see around them. These are the days when harvest could be seen in your life and mine. We'll see it if we're available. So as we complete our time this morning, I just simply have two questions for you. Are you praying for your person of peace, the person who likes you, who listens to you, who serves you, who Jesus is sending you to? Are you praying for that person of peace? And secondly, are you praying that God would make you more available? Are you using the resources that we have online at Resonde that give you all of the, the, the necessary resources to help you prepare for the opportunity of having a Bible study with someone who as yet doesn't know the Lord Jesus? Are you making yourself ready by, by signing up for the family camp this summer so that you and your children are prepared to be witnesses are you asking God to make you ready as you pray and read his word daily and as well as asking God to make you ready are you saying Lord I don't know whether I'm ready but I am available we're going to have the band come up again now and this is what I'd like you to do
if this word has spoken to you in the way that this passage has spoken to me down through the years I'd ask you to respond in one of two ways first of all pray for your person of peace now it could be that you get all of that by never moving and staying exactly where you are but my sense is this that because God made us to be instruments of communication first with him and then with everyone else and that almost all of human communication about 80% of it is non-verbal then most of our prayers are non-verbal also so my challenge to you this morning is to get out of your seat and to move to the front and in doing that say God I'm moving into a place of availability so that you can give me my person of peace and open up the way for me to share the good news with those around me. And then secondly, having been made available to the Lord, just ask him to make you ready. Is that clear to everybody? Yeah? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we ask you that you would make us a people prepared. A people prepared for your service, the greatest service of all, which is to bring eternal fruit into your kingdom. Lord, may we be those who you use in a golden thread of love that extends from your heart to the hearts of those that you're calling to yourself and may we be part of that thread and may we Lord be used by you to bring many under the sound of the good news may it be Lord that you make us ready and even if we don't know that we're ready Lord may you make us available and we ask it in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say. Amen. So, if you need that prayer to be made manifest in your life so that God is moving in fresh ways, then you come as we sing. <laughs>